Hey everybody, welcome to the Calhoun Ward Living Histories Podcast. I am your host, John Phillips, a member of the Calhoun Ward. Let's dive in and learn more about our ward members. I'm Megan Metcalf. I was born in 1980 in November. In fact, I was born on the day that Ronald Reagan was elected president, almost to the minute when he was announced president. So that's my name, um, fame. <laughs> um, my parents used to call me Megan Reagan as a little nickname. And I always thought I would name one of my daughters Reagan, but that never happened. So um was born in Georgia. My dad is from Georgia. My mom is from Idaho. So we um, ended up moving to Idaho when I was around four four years old. My mom was pregnant with my sister, and because of how my um, dad's relationship was with his family and not being members of the church, um, they felt it was best to move across the country. And my dad wanted to experience the West. He had never experienced it, and they had met um, shortly after he was baptized. And so being raised by a Southern, a true Southern gentleman and then a true Idahoan. Um, it's interesting to say the least, but we had an incredible childhood, I thought, in Idaho. I was there for most of my elementary school years, in fact, all of my elementary school years. And my dad was the high school um, football coach and basketball coach. He did pretty much everything because we lived in a tiny, tiny town called Oakley, which is just south of Berlin. It has under 500 people. So we had, we didn't even have a stoplight. We had a stop sign and we might've had more than one stop sign, but not many. And so my childhood was filled with um, running, running a buck with my siblings everywhere and riding our bikes everywhere. And most of my childhood honestly was probably spent at the high school with my dad because he was always either coaching. So we were on the football field or we were on the basketball court with him in the winter months. And I, um, as I got older, I was able to be his um, water girl for his basketball team. I was obsessed with this basketball team. And it was a girls' basketball team. And they were really, really good. They went to state a couple of years. And I just always thought that I would be this incredible basketball player when I grew up. But that didn't also happen. But um, for various reasons. So... And we moved back to Georgia in 1992, and shortly after, um, my dad's dad had passed. And so that was part of the reason why we moved back to Georgia. Um, but for the most part, I loved my childhood. We had an incredible childhood. Um, my siblings and I fought like most siblings do when they're young, but we are really close now. And I'm Looking back on it, I am so glad that we moved back to Georgia when we did. Um, moving here has definitely defined a lot of um, my life and who I am today. And, um, But for the most part, it was, you know, I didn't have much stress, although we didn't have a lot of money because, you know, I don't know if you know this, but teachers don't get paid a lot. And so... Um, we didn't grow up, um, you know, being able to go to the mall and go shopping or have nice cars. And in fact, we had a lot of hunk of junks driving, you know, cars, car wise. Um, 
And we um, just had a really um, carefree childhood. We didn't go on a lot of vacations. We, in fact, I don't think we went on any. But I actually I take that back. We did go um, went a couple times across country. We drove across country to visit my dad's family here in Georgia. And one year, I remember clear as day that we visited a lot of the church history sites. And that was a really cool experience because we got to see the the um, where not the Navu Temple was the original one where there was just a hole in the ground. So I love that I've been able to see that without the temple. And now with the temple, I've been there since the new one was built. So that's been a really cool experience. But that's kind of what we did as a family, just traveling and visiting friends and family and things like that. Some other memories of my childhood um, elementary school years, besides riding my bike everywhere, the summer, was we spent our entire day at the pool. Once we did our chores, we were at the pool. And I just remember living there. And still at my age, the summer means pool. And so I keep trying to talk my husband into building a pool for us. But um, I don't know that that will ever happen. However, there's just some funny memories that I remember. Um, We always played in the ditch. You can do that in Idaho. You can't do that really here in Georgia. But we played in the ditch a lot in the mud, you know, making mud pies and things like that. And I remember one of my um, friends that was a neighbor, I remember putting, you know, those the huckleberry, those spiky, are those, is that what they're called? I can't even remember what they're called. But there's those little spiky balls that are um, on like basically weeds she filled, she put them all in my hair. I mean, it looked like I had curlers in my hair and it took, my mom and I still talk about it. She goes, do you remember me taking them? I said, honestly, I really don't remember you taking them out. I remember how angry you were that she filled my hair, but, um, I'm sure it was a daunting task to take those out of my hair. But I also was very active, um, in 4-H there. And I learned how to bake and decorate cakes. In fact, I won a county, um, what a county competition or something. And I remember going to one of the county uh, buildings. I was probably 10 at the time, maybe 11, no 10, I was 10. And having, they asked me to come and do like a presentation and how to decorate a cake. And I didn't do the back part, but there was like a mirror to show what I was doing behind them so they could see the whole cake. And I didn't, I remember not decorating the entire cake, but, um, and I won another, um, competition. I don't even know what they're called anymore, but, um, for sewing. And this was in the eighties or late, late eighties. And so, you know, it was like neon colors. And I remember that outfit very clearly. My mom still has a picture of it, but, that was really fun. And I had some really close friends and just always being with them. And my mom being in a really small town that we were in, you know, everybody, whether good or bad. And, and because my dad had, was such a high profile, um, citizen of the community, sometimes that came with some really bad um, drawbacks to that, especially being a coach and if parents weren't happy that their kids weren't playing or whatever. But some really good things about living in a small town is we could be, you know, 
run around the town and not have to worry about it. And my mom, I remember this at nine o'clock, it was her and like three other um, friends would just go walk around the town for exercise. And during the summer, me and a friend or me and my sister would walk around town and try to find them and scare them in the dark. So I love that I could experience that kind of childhood because you can't really do that anymore. I don't know if anywhere, um, maybe still in Idaho, I don't know, um, where you can have those kinds of experiences because my kids live a pretty sheltered life in that regard where, you know, everything is, you know, planned accordingly, you know, play days are planned and things like that, but I had a really good, easygoing childhood in that department. So my teenage years, it's um, <laughs> interesting because I did go to three different high schools because the town that we lived in, um, my eighth grade year was actually part of the high school. And that was the high school that my dad graduated in. He was kind of a big shot in in high school in fact, even 60 years later, he's part of this like top athlete list from this high school. And so I hated it though. I hated, hated it. But then we went back to Forsyth County and we just kind of lived all around North Georgia area. So I know quite a few people, you know, from all the way from Athens, all the way over here now to Calhoun. But um, my teenage years were definitely interesting because I was very unaware of myself, um, or maybe just, I don't know the best way to describe it, but maybe, um, just kind of swallowed up in my own problems and not really aware of, um, who I really was, if that makes any sense. I don't know, but I just remember being really unsure of myself and I was very involved in athletics and I was a good student because I kind of had to be because when you're, you have a parent that's very involved in school and as a teacher and you go to that school, you have no choice but to be on your best behavior and to be a good student because that parent is going to check up on you and see what you're doing in class. So, um, but I don't re really remember putting a lot of effort into school. I wish that I had, but it just wasn't something I super loved and I didn't hate it either, but I did love the athletics part of it. And I loved the social part of it. I was really close friends. Um, I have some really close friends still to this day from middle school and high school, just really good people. Um, and played, always played basketball and I tried to play softball, but I didn't make the team my freshman year in high school. And my dad came to me and he said, listen, you can't play softball when you're 50 years old, but you can run. I suggest that you try out cross country. So I did cross country that year. And that first mile that I ran, I thought I was going to die, but it ended up being such an incredible skill that I learned how to run because I would carry that through. Even today, I love what that does for me, my mental health and my physical health running. And it was part of the basketball team. And when we moved to Cherokee County from Forsyth County, they actually had a swim team. So my junior year, I was on the swim team, always did track and field. Believe it or not, I was a sprinter. I did the 400, which is like a brutal race. And, but I was also a really strong, um, girl. And so I was doing the shot put and the disc as well. And 
that's where um, I was really good and excelled at was actually in weight training. I was really, really talented in weight training. And unfortunately, when we moved, they didn't have a great, my junior when we moved um, to Woodstock, they didn't have a great weight training program. But before that, I was, my coach was actually training me to go to the Olympics. I was pretty talented, which made me probably didn't help in my insecure teenage girl self because I was stronger than most of the boys and I could bench press more than them. I could squat more than them. I could do all these things because we always had a PR day. And so I was always on top of the list uh, for girls for sure. But even some of the boys I would be, and I hated it because they would always call me Haas or, um, you know, brute and no teenage girl wants to be called those things. So I kind of hated it. But as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, I wish I had just really accepted that about myself and embraced it more. Um, But looking back on that, um, knowing, I know we'll get to this later, but with Benson, um, our son needing to be so, needing help so much physically and being dependent on this, I know that God gave me this physical strength for a reason, because it's not easy having a child that's totally dependent on you. Um, but yeah, I would consider myself pretty social. And when we moved to Cherokee County, had a great, great group of girls um, in the church and we always hung out. And I know that that's what kind of kept me strong in my teenage years Prior to that, I was definitely the only one in school. There was like me, my siblings, obviously, because I have an older brother and then I have a younger sister. So I am the middle child. And if you ask them, I am a true middle child and I'll accept that. Um, But so it's always our siblings, my siblings. And then um, we might have had maybe one or two other friends that were members, but it, it was usually just us until my junior year. And then there was maybe four of us, but it was just me and one other guy, my graduating class that were members. But, um, I always just babysat on the weekends. My parents didn't love us working in high school. They wanted us to focus more on school and just being kids, which I really appreciate, but I did babysit a lot on the weekends and that's how I earned money. And I loved, loved that. And in fact, some of my very first spiritual experiences um, that started planting my seeds um, was probably starting in high school. I know well before that too, but really when I started recognizing them and was aware of them when I was a freshman, there was a family that I babysat for that I just loved. I loved their family. I loved the kids. And they had three. And their um, youngest, I can't even remember what happened, but she had a um, something medical happened to her and she was, it was, it was very serious where she could have died. And her dad was a doctor. And, um, I remember they asked the ward to do a ward fast and I had never fasted before that point. And so I made it a point because I loved this girl so much that I fasted for the first time in all my life. And it was a really, incredible experience for me, which was great because it planted again, the seed for me 
that carried through some really difficult times in my life and fasting definitely helped carry me through those difficult times. And because I could, I saw firsthand at, at a young age, um, what sacrificing and fasting and prayer can do for a situation in whatever situation that may be. But, um, yeah, it just, I, I didn't go to the parties or anything like that. Um, and if I did, my friends always knew that I was uncomfortable and never, t- they never asked me or told me what they were doing <laughs> behind the scenes. Um, but, um, yeah, high school was not a terrible experience. Would I go back and relive it? Only if I could go back and relive it with the knowledge that I have now. Sure. But, but no, <laughs> I wouldn't go do it again. So I graduated in high school in 1999 and it was, you know, the doomsday of what was that called even um, when the two, year 2000 was going to happen? Y2K. Y2K. Oh my goodness. Y2K was happening. Yes. And so I graduated and then my parents right after, cause we we're living in Cherokee County. My dad inherited his parents' home, which is in Jackson County in Jefferson. And so right after I graduated, they moved over there. And then I moved to Logan, Utah. My I had an aunt that lived there. So I went to go live with her and work for her fly fishing company. She has a um, fly fishing company um, that's world renowned. So I worked for her for a semester and I loved Logan. Um, that was a really fun, good experience. I didn't have a car or anything. In fact, my mom just said, pack up your things. And I packed up my things and went with a friend. She had a Penske truck she was going to Utah State, and I went with her. I hitched a ride with her. I didn't know where I was going to live. I didn't have a bed. I didn't have any furniture. I I think I barely had clothes with me, um, but she just knew that I would find a place out there, so I just didn't question that, and we did. We found a place easily for me, and that was a good experience, but um, after the Y2K phenomenon, and that didn't happen that January, um, I started school at, in Salt Lake City at the LDS Business College. And I think it's called Enzyme College now, but my degree was interior design. And so I studied that. And um, late, later that year, I was married for the first time, and that ended in divorce about four and a half years later. So that time um, is... I've honestly blocked a lot of it out because it was a really dark, ugly time for me. Um, but it was also, there are some really incredible learning experiences and spiritual experiences that I had during that time. Um, that is the reason why um, I know that Jesus is absolutely looking after us and knows us individually. And, um, anyway, it was, um, when I moved back, I finally had an experience in the temple that I won't go into cause it's pretty personal. Um, when I was married the first time and right after that, I was very confused, um, and finally felt impressed that I needed to be back in Georgia with my family and came back with a friend who was also from Georgia and they were planning on moving back to Georgia. 
And so moved back to Georgia and about a year later is when the divorce happened. And so I am just so thankful that I was back here to be around people that I knew loved and cherished me and could be, um, you know, my cushion when I fell and they definitely were and kept me solid and strong and kept going. But, um, and that is when I finally started working in the design field too, after the divorce, um, finally believed in myself enough that I could do it and do that for a number of years. And, and funny enough, I think it was the year 2004. Yeah, it was 2004 and the Olympics were going on at the time. And I think it was in Greece, Athens, Greece. And this is when everything was unraveling in my life. But the Olympics were happening and I was at a friend's house and her parents were watching it. And I, it was the rowing, um, they were doing races. The rowing races were happening and there was a eight boat and there was a girl on that Olympic team from the U.S. Her name was Megan and she was a member of the church and she was a rower and it just washed over me that I needed to row and I needed to go back to school. And so that's next, the following summer is when, um, I got things kind of aligned and went back to school at Georgia State University and was able to join the rowing team then. And that, funny enough, is how Coney and I met. I was a part of the team all through summer and training with them. And he had just gotten out of the Navy. And so he um, joined a little bit later, the team, and we were going on a weekend um, team building event. I think it was in North Carolina. And I had not met him before. And he was on the, you know, we had these big caravan vans that we would drive. And he was in the front seat. I'm like, who are you? And he was wearing a, um, I hate to say it, but um, I, I don't know if it's appropriate to say the wife beater, you know, white tank tops, you know. And I said, who are you? And he's like, my name's Connie. I'm like, your name's Coney and you're wearing a wife beater shirt. And he was like, who is this girl? You know, I w it wasn't the best impression, but he, there was a group of us that were a little bit older on the team that had lived life a little bit. And some were, you know, like Navy, uh, or like Coney, he was in the Navy and some other buddies that had, were in the military and now back going back to school and were on the team. And so, um, we all just, we truly were a team. We all just loved each other and we were always together. And every weekend was spent at a regatta. And that was a really, really incredible experience that I'm so thankful that I was able to have because you not only just push your body to a limit that you don't think it can go to, um, but it's mental too. And you truly have to work as a team on that boat or your boat doesn't move and all the sorts of chaos happens. And so it was, we were good friends. Coney and I were good friends for quite a while on the team. And then, um, after one season, the end of one season, he asked me to go on a date and the first date went pretty good. We went to cheesecake factory and then he asked me, <laughs> right? Pretty good. Um, 
And a couple weeks later, we went on a second date and it was when we were meeting some teammates at a hockey team. And this is when Atlanta had the Atlanta Thrashers. They had a hockey team and he lived on the other side of Atlanta and I lived down by the temple and he's like, I'll be there this time. I'm like, okay, well, he was late and he's like, well, what should we do? Cause we were planning on taking Marta. I'm like, well, we can't take Marta at this point. We'll be really late. And I was like, get in my car. I'll get us down there in time. And so I drove, he let me pay for parking and he let me pay for, uh, pay for my ticket too. I think I'm like, what kind of second date is this? And so there was a quite a few breaks between that second date and that third, third date to say the least. But, um, we just, um, I'm not even sure how to explain how our relationship developed, but it developed very naturally and it just felt really easy. And like, I didn't have to question anything. I knew what his feelings were about me. And, um, he wasn't a member of the church and that concerned me quite a bit, but that was my own issues that I had to work through. And he did end up, um, after we started getting pretty serious after January, unbeknownst to me, he started reading the book of Mormon. And I think it was a book called Mormon for dummies or something. And he had gotten at Barnes and Noble. And so it was April 1st. He had come with me to my parents' house in Jefferson and it was conference weekend. He'd come with me to my parents to watch conference. And on our way home, he's like, Hey, so I have some things to talk to you about. I'm like, okay, cool. And he's like, so I've been reading the book of Mormon. I want to get baptized and I love you. And I thought, Oh, happy, happy fool's day. You know, April fool's joke. Right. He's like, no serious. <laughs> I'm like it was a total shock. And that was when things started going downhill even more dramatically with his own parents, but that's his own story that I won't go into. But, um, he was pretty much disowned from his, his family for a while and they never liked me from that point on, um, which is unfortunate, but, um, yeah, so he got baptized at the end of April and we were married in December before, 10 days before Christmas in 2007. And he graduated about a year or two later. I can't remember it because we moved up to Connecticut for his schooling, some more schooling. He actually was accepted into a PhD program up there. And it was, again, one of those things that just felt natural to do. Like I didn't even feel like I needed to pray about it. I knew the answer right away. And it was kind of like marrying him. I knew the answer. I didn't need to pray about it. And going to Connecticut, just like, oh yeah, we need to go to Connecticut. And so while in Connecticut and he, he was going to school, I was working a couple of odd jobs. And um, prior to this, I should mention, because we went up there in 2010, we were, or anyway, it doesn't matter the timeline, but um, six months after or nine months after he and I were married, my dad died. Um, kind of unexpectedly, he had a lot of um, health issues. He had some brain tumors that he had multiple surgeries on and 
just kind of his health declined, but not dramatically enough to think that we, he, we would lose him because he was always just bounced back after every surgery. But I, he ended up dying of a heart attack nine months after Coney and I were married. And that really changed a lot. Um, because when you lose someone, um, that you're close with a parent, a sibling, whoever it may be, what happens, or at least what happened to me was, okay, I either believe that we will be together forever or I don't. I either believe all this that I've been taught or I don't. And obviously I do. <laughs> um, but it was, a, it was interesting how that kind of unfolded and, and um, built my testimony and um, some inner dialogue in, in myself and how that unfolded with my dad dying. Um, but when we were in Connecticut, um, he, we experienced infertility and, um, I knew that that was going to be an issue, um, because of my first marriage. But, um, so we, thankfully Connecticut has incredible insurance and doctors and, so it just, one thing led to another and was able to work with one doctor. He's like, listen, you've been through the ringer already. Um, and he sent me to the University of Connecticut Hospital in Hartford. And it was, um, anyway, that's not part of the story yet because I'm jumping. Um, but prior to that, um, we had some really, really incredible friends in Connecticut we weren't there for super long. We were there for three years, but these people still feel like family. And the bishop at the time, he had eight kids and they had adopted two more. So they had 10 total kids. And they were like, well, have you ever thought about adopting? I'm like, yeah, I'm not opposed to it. And they strongly encouraged us to look into the foster system in Connecticut because they had a ton of benefits to doing that. And they really needed foster parents. And if you were able to end up adopting through the foster system, these kids got like free school in Connecticut and some other things. And there's a class that you have to take. And as we were taking this class, I think we were after our second one, Coney said to me, he goes, this is not what we're supposed to be doing. And I was like, but nothing else is working. You know, um, the fertility treatments aren't working how are we supposed to build our family? I just feel, I, at that time, I just felt this strong urge to just keep doing something to build our family. And at the time, foster seemed like the right thing, but I knew he was right. And it was a couple of weeks later. It wasn't, it wasn't long after, um, our Bishop's wife was like, Hey, just so you know, I gave your information to a really close friend of mine, her stepdaughter is pregnant and considering adoption. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Didn't think anything of it. Like literally just, I almost, I forgot about it, honestly. And she's like, do you mind? I'm like, oh no. And at the time I felt very impressed when we moved to Connecticut to start a blog. So I had a, um, a little family blog for Coney and I just to keep family informed of our comings and goings in Connecticut all at once. And so, um, Kim, the Bishop's wife had given her our blog. And so I remember this, it was in September 
Um, and I had just, if nobody's ever been to New England, but they have a ton of cute and really quaint um, farm stands everywhere because taxes are so expensive. Everybody has a farm <laughs> and you can just stop anywhere and just pick berries or pick pumpkins and things. And it was the end of September. And so I was picking up pumpkins on the side of this really quaint New England picture perfect town. It's, I love New England, but, and I had just picked up pumpkins and I got this phone call and she's like, Hey, um, my name is Devin. Um, I think Kim gave you, told you about me. Um, I've been reading your blog and I've gotten to know you and Coney through your blog. And I'm calling to ask you to be the parents to this baby girl I'm carrying. And this was September 28th. And I was in shock. I was like, of course, you know, but everything runs through your mind because unfortunately there's a lot of um, negative things about adoption. I think it's changed quite a bit over the last year, but all those negative things came through my mind. Like she's going to change her mind. This is not going to work out. And, um, we just got in touch with the right people, a social worker in Connecticut. And we were one of the very last adoptions that occurred through the church adoption agency because they got rid of it like almost right after ours was final. So we were one of the very last ones. And some of the miracles that happened around her adoption were a few things. We found the right agency that could help us do like all of our uh, in-home meetings that we had to have to make sure that we were fit parents to adopt this child. And through the church agency, you had to take um, a, a course. It was like this all day, like weekend event that they wanted you to do. And it taught you about the impacts of adoption, maybe the negative and um, just different classes. And it was a requirement. And they only did it once a year. And it was all throughout the country. And the previous year, I think it was in Texas. Well, this, that year that we, it was 2010, that year just 2011, excuse me, 2011 just happened to be in Boston. And we were already serving as temple workers in Boston. So we were up there every other weekend already. And we loved, loved Boston. And that conference, I think it you would call it, was there. And there's this beautiful church building right next to the temple there. And we got to know um, quite a few people. Anyway, we were able to finish that course and so we were fully vested and ready to be, um, to adopt if it all worked out with Devin and, and things just kept going. So basically we did a year's worth of paperwork because it usually takes that long to get everything approved and worked through with the lawyers and the social workers and the agents and everything. We did that in eight weeks, less than eight weeks actually. And Thanksgiving, week we drove down to South Carolina where she was going to be born and spent Thanksgiving day with family and my sister-in-law um her parents lived in South Carolina at the time so we were able to stay with them for um after the hotel stand because 
by law, we couldn't leave the state of South Carolina until Connecticut approved us. It's this whole thing. Anyway, um, so I was able to see Madeline be born, and we still know her adoption, or not her adoption, sorry, her birth mom and birth family really, really well. And it was, um, that's when I gained a testimony of miracles, that miracles are still happening all around us. You just have to look for them. And the miracles that happened and had to happen in order for us to adopt Madeline were pretty obvious, um, but it was pretty stressful. So you still had to look for them. But it was a really incredible and beautiful story. And we just love that we've been able to experience adoption. And she knows that she's adopted and she's very proud of it. In fact, she'll probably introduce herself to a stranger. She's done this more than I can count. My name's Madeline and I'm adopted. And it always throws people off. Um, but I just love her spunk and that she's proud of that. Because we are too. We're proud of it. And so when she was 10 months old is when I found this doctor I had mentioned in Hartford. And so we were able to do a procedure and he was able to put me on this medication that was actually a, um, a medication that they gave breast cancer patients. And that helped. And so we were able to conceive Olive and right when we found out we were pregnant with her is when we were moving back to Georgia. And so we gave birth to Olive here in Georgia and Madeline was just about 18 months old. And then, um, Olive was, um, a 10 and a half pound baby. I did not expect her to be so large and in charge. And when her nurse came in to get her, and help me finish delivering her. She said, just skip breastfeeding or bottle feeding and go right to McDonald's and get her a happy meal because she was so big. <laughs> um, and um, so we had these two incredible girls that kept us on our toes for sure. But we knew that we were missing somebody. And But at the time, Coney's insurance had changed pretty dramatically and they weren't going to cover any fertility treatments. And this was um, 2016, and I just remember going to the Lord in prayer and saying, we know that there is another child. We don't know how this is going to logistically work out for us to have this child because our insurance has changed. And I remember, remember my prayers like, if you want us to have this child, I need you to perform a miracle for us. And he did. And we had um, put our, sold our house and we're buying another house. And it was contingent whether we sold this house that we could buy this other house. And three days before we were supposed to close on the house that we were selling, they backed out, which mean, meant that we had to back out of the house that we had found. And it felt very life-ending, dramatic, right? Like, where are we going to live? What are we going to do? Because we had moved in with my mom and sister for a week while we were closing and buying a house and moving. Well, the day that they backed out is the day that I found out I was pregnant with Benson, 
miraculously. And two days late, no, it was the next day I had an appointment with my fertility doctor and she was, well, I guess you didn't need me. And so he really is a miracle in every way. Um, and it was one of those things that was pretty obvious that the Lord's hand was in this because the house that we had, we were going to buy was only three bedroom and we needed an office for Coney and, so a few months went by that we were living with mom and Emily and we were selling the house again and found a new house that was even more perfect for us because it had the four bedrooms anyway. Um, and Benson is, um, special needs. He's actually med considered medically fragile disability. I don't know. It's, it's all discombobulated to me a little bit because he's still, considered un undiagnosed, but he was born without his brain being fully developed. And that was a shock to us because he did come six weeks early and spent um, quite a few weeks in the NICU. And they thought it he had microcephaly or he has had, we knew his head was smaller and they thought it was because of the Zinka virus. Cause that was pretty, that was pretty rampant at the time, five years ago where women were delivering babies prematurely because they had the Zinka virus, but that wasn't the case for us. And so I didn't think anything of it by the time we got home and his two month checkup, his pediatrician whom I loved just said, you know, I think we need to get some tests run for him and just see what's going on. She was, it could be nothing. And sure enough, we went and had an MRI done and, and that's kind of where his things started unraveling and um honestly and I and I really do hate saying this because it it may come off the wrong way but our life really did flip upside down when we started realizing um how medically fragile he was and that he wasn't going to be this little boy throwing a football or kicking a soccer ball or running and chasing after his sisters. Um, it was pretty traumatic, honestly. And it took me a couple of years to even be able to verbalize that because I felt guilty about, you know, this thing, this human being that I love and bringing him in and what was happening was, was, um, hard, but it was, it was hard and it's been hard. It's, um, it's gotten easier as the more we lean on um, Heavenly Father and we look for him in everything and we lean on him and seek and expect those miracles that the prophet has asked us to do. Um, it's become easier, especially keeping that eternal perspective in view. When you can look at things with that eternal perspective, you, you can see things um, as they truly are, um, because looking at it, a worldly view, like, oh my gosh, you know, oh, we have to have a wheelchair for the rest of our life. Oh, you know, this, that. Um, but I know that he came to this earth the way that he did for a reason. Um, he is medicine to the soul and he is truly special in every way and keeps He's like my, um, my guiding light almost because I don't want to be left behind 
you know, I want to be with him for eternity because I know that's where he'll be. He'll be with Jesus and I want to be with him. And so the last couple of years has been really, really hard work to change our mindset and our perspective and see things um, differently. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for anything. He is exactly how he's supposed to be. And, and his sisters, it's a great, great experience for his sisters too. They're incredible with him. And, um, I know that it's going to help them in their life too. And kind of be maybe a source of light for them and a, um, a guide for for them in their life too. Professionally, it's interesting because I went to school for interior design and for a number of years I didn't do that. Um, and then I finally did. And then went back to school and met Coney. And again, things kind of changed. And then when my dad died... Um, I had had this really strong desire to do photography. And so when he died, I finally said it's now or never and bought a camera and did courses and courses and learned, learned photography and have done that, um, on and off for the last, what is it? 12 years now, if not longer, oh my God, this is 13 years, um, been doing that. And that's been a really incredible experience for me, meeting people, just being able to capture these moments, um, in their life. Because when you do lose somebody, you realize like these pictures or videos, I, they're both encompassing, but I specialized in photography and you can look at those photos and it really will spark a memory and, and the joy that you felt at that moment with that person. So that was kind of my point of view with photography. And, and I still do that for long-term, long-time clients that I've had for years and years. I don't really um, market that I do that, but people do know that I do it. And if they ask me, then I'll, if I like them, I'll do it. Just kidding. Um, but, and I also, when Coney lost his job in 2014, he had a, um, he had lost his job. I said, okay, I have these skills. I need to use them. And the girls were really young and I said, I need to do design again. And a, again, a long-term client, this is how I know God is in the details because it was two days after I said this to Coney, I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to start doing design again. This client that I had for 11 years at that point said, Hey, are you still doing design work? I need my office kitchen and break room totally redesigned and totally got it. And I said, I'm your girl. And, um, that was really fun and did that. I have clients I've had for a number of years. Um, I did take a step back a little bit um, when Benson was born and since he's been born, I've, I've not taken on as many clients, but, um, this past year I've taken on more than I have in quite a while. And it's just really incredible because the reason why I got into d interior design is because I believe very deeply that our homes are 
vital to um, our well-being. And that can be our spiritual well-being, our emotional well-being, and um, and mental and emotional go hand in hand. But, you know, our homes are supposed to be like temples, and temples are gorgeous. They are peaceful. They are serene. And um, I know that the things that I need to teach my kids happen within these walls of our home. And I just have a a really strong testimony of the importance of our homes. And, And it's okay that they're beautiful. You know, is my home perfect? Absolutely not. But that's kind of where I go, where I approach things with clients and teach them why I do it the way I do, why I do what I do and get to share the gospel that way with them too. It's just like, listen, you know, these homes are really special and really important. They're important for your kids. They're important. You know, this is where memories happen and all of our childhood memories are in our home. Right. And we're learning about all the things within our home. And so I gained that test. I started that seed started being planted in my teenage years. And so I knew that's what I wanted to do. And, and I do love it. Um, I really do love it. I feel lucky that I get to do something that I love and that I feel is important to society as a whole. It's interesting. I have a lot of hobbies. Um, I have that joke, you know, a jack of many traits or whatever. I'm a Jane of many traits. I have, I love all sorts of things. Um, I do love um, working out, still walking, running, whatever that may be, hiking. We, Coney and I love to mountain bike. Um, we haven't done that in a little while because our bikes need to be fixed. But um, anything outdoors and um anything creative as well. And I love to watercolor. I love to do calligraphy. Um, I love to just create in my own home, what, whatever that may be. I do craft a little bit. I think, um, if I need something done around my house or, or something frugal done to make my house prettier, I'll, I'll, do something, whatever that may be, but floral arrangement. I do party planning for some clients too. This long-term client that I've had for nearly 20 years, you know, I, I plan her kids' weddings and baby showers. And so I love that creative part too. Um, just making things really pretty and fun and colorful, um, is that what's like, that's what lights me up is, the creative part of thing of my personality. I don't recall like a specific scenario when my testimony or when I gained my testimony, I feel like it's just kind of always been in me um, and just different experiences or tri- trials um, that have occurred in my life have strengthened my testimony because I've had to lean on the Lord for um, strength and wisdom and guidance. And that's what's really, um, really made my testimony, um, or solidified my testimony, I should say. Um, I could tell you all sorts of experiences that have done that, but 
um, recently, you know, when before COVID even happened. And it's interesting because today in Relief Society, you know, we talked about being spiritually at a plateau. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've definitely been there before. You know, I think we all have. And um, that last plateau that I was in, um, I just finally said enough. And sometimes that means, you know, changing your friends. <laughs> sometimes, you know, um, you are who you hang out or hang out with. And I am really lucky to have um, some friends in my life that challenge me spiritually, that keep me going and um, help me think about things in a different way. And like, how do I feel about that? And really take it to the Lord in prayer and and get my own answers. And, and I just know that... Um, this gospel that we get to experience in our life is remarkable because of how it makes me feel. I'm a feeler. I don't know. I'm not a scriptorian. I'm, I feel things and, um, maybe one day I'll be a scriptorian, but I'm not too stressed out about that. I'm, I know how I hear the Lord and how he confirms to me what is true and what's not. And um, I'm really grateful for that because that's a that's a pretty key component to gaining a testimony is recognizing like, okay, well, how do I hear the spirit? And how, how, not just hear him, but how do I feel him too? And so that's been, um, and it's, it's continuous. It's, that's the incredible thing about, about this is that I'm learning something new as I go. Like, um, I just, you know, you go through phases where you learn something new every, every, you know, year or whatever it may be. And what I feel like I've been learning a lot about in the last couple of weeks is just, and I bore my testimony about this too, is just, where is Jesus in our story? Where is Jesus in this trial? Like look for him. If you just keep your eyes looking for for Heavenly Father and Jesus, you'll find him, and that's what's going to keep you going. I would say probably the life experience of divorce has, has taught me um, how to hang on spiritually. Um, that for sure, and being a mom too, especially to a child with special needs has, has taught me um, things that I would have never been able to learn otherwise. And I'm grateful that I've been able to have um, a lot of quote unquote life experiences because it helps me be compassionate towards other people because Compassion does not come naturally to me, and that's how I've had to learn it is through really hard things. And I can see people, I can see what they might be struggling with. Um, you know, I there was a time in Coney and I's life where we were so poor that, you know, putting milk on the table was difficult. 
And I was surrounded by um, people where that was not a struggle and they were oblivious to the fact that we were struggling, you know, because they just had never had to struggle before. And so I just, I truly am thankful for all the struggles that I've had to deal with in life because I can see it in other people and be more aware of um, maybe what they're going through that they're not verbalizing. I love the Calhoun Ward because it's just small and intimate. And I feel like there's this opportunity that we have, even through this podcast, that we can really truly become a ward family and, and have each other's back and because we're um, manageable in size, if that makes sense. <laughs> so I love I love that we're quaint and, and small. In my capstone for my posterity, I would have to say that what I would want my posterity to know is that words matter. Words have um, strength behind them and meaning behind them, and that with Emily Father's side, with Emily Father. Um, on your side and asking him that you can become anything. And, um, and we were already born with everything that we needed in this world. And it's just about remembering those things that we already have all the tools. We have the tools they've been given to us and, um, Especially that we have, since we have the gospel and um, if we were born under the covenant or you've been to the temple and things like that, like you just keep building and, and keep adding to your toolbox, right? With the different promises that you make. Um, but words, words have power and they have meaning. And, you know, God said, I am, I am the great I am, right? And um, just... Remembering who we are is has power. That we are Heavenly Father's children. And I, I had to learn that the hard way. That was actually one of the things I learned through the divorce. And um, different things that happened afterwards is just when I started viewing myself through God's eyes and saying, I am a child of Heavenly Parents. That is powerful and can change your life. And it changed mine 100%. When I started to see myself through his eyes um, and believing it, and believing that I was loved and believing that I already had everything that I needed, he had already given me everything, is when life changed for me dramatically. Well, that brings us to a close for this week's podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed the personal history and stories presented today. And most of all, I hope it has brought you closer to another member of our ward.